Hey, everybody, what's up? It's your boy, MJ. Hey, man, I'm excited to announce a great community and platform that I've been working with called Rare Liquid. Uh, you know, a couple months ago, I was at an incredible event in Paso Robles with the Rare Liquid team and their founding artist and producer, Turtle Rock Vineyards. Uh, you might remember this was my number one wine from 2021, my famous Blackberry Cobbler a la mode motherfucker. Uh, Rare Liquid is really cool. They're building a network of artists and producers, collectors, and storage providers to solve the provenance problem for the rare wine and spirit industry. Members get access to verified limited edition drops from elite producers and can frictionlessly share, trade, gift, and monetize their collections. While for the first time in history, artists and producers can earn a royalty payment every time their bottles trade on the platform. Rare Liquid is expanding to 560 members through their invite-only Founders Club drop. You can check it out at rareliquid.club, which I'll put in the show notes. Uh, Rare Liquid has given me a limited number of membership invitations. If you're interested in an invitation and learning more, hit me up on Instagram at MJTaller, or you can just send an email to blackwineguy at gmail.com. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a Black Wine Guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is a wine enthusiast, lawyer, longtime entrepreneur, and OG in the co-working movement, Benjamin Diet. Uh, Benjamin is a partner at Deco Group and is a flexible workplace strategist. Uh, the Deco Group is a global co-working consultancy that helps organizations, commercial real estate companies, and asset owners incorporate co-working and flexible office solutions into their workplace and portfolio strategies. He is a current board member and past president of the board of directors for Sylvester Manor. And Benjamin is a rear commodore of the Shelter Island Yacht Club. <laughs> Welcome, Benjamin. <laughs> oh, that sounds so hilarious when you say it. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I like to start at the beginning. And first of all, you, listeners are like, why are you having this guy on? Well, if you've been following the podcast, you know I like to make it uh, about what wine does, how it brings people together, and, and, and you don't have to just be a psalm or someone who's in the wine business to be on here. And Benjamin came recommended uh, by Adrian Chalk. If you guys go back a bunch of episodes, remember Adrian uh, Chalk, who represents the main Lalu. He's he's the fucking guy. He uh, and uh, you know he, he 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 he's like you got to interview you got to interview my boy Benjamin. He's a friend of mine. He's a great wine drinker. He's a fascinating guy. So that's why. And once we start talking. You, I mean, you already see, like, like, I'm like, what the, what, what the f is a flexible workplace? What the fuck is a flexible workplace strategist? Uh, can, uh, I, I did some research. Can't wait to talk about Sylvester Manor. That's a great story there. And then, want to hear about a rear commodore uh, of the Shelter Island Yacht Club. And when we're talking, he had a restaurant. So there's just going to be so much to talk <laughs> about. But I do like to start at the beginning. Um, so where are you from then? 
I'm from White Plains, New York, born and raised. Ah, Westchester County. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, okay. <laughs> Which is very connected to my wine story. Okay, so <laughs> we're going to, but in the beginning, so what was, uh, you're from White Plains proper? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what was that like growing up for you in White Plains? Um, <laughs> I thought it was, uh, yeah, look, it's a good, solid community. Um, it's you know, fairly diverse, mm-hmm. uh, both racially and economically. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a bit of a different experience. My, my father and both my parents were medical professionals. My father was a doctor. Got it. Um, so we lived in the nice end of town. <laughs> gotcha. Which was all white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and um, it was the 60s. It was the 70s. And... Um, you kind of had to figure it out yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, right, ah, so crazy. So, like, someone interviewed me once, and I was like, you know, um, like I grew up in Jersey, but like I, I told him, I said, like, my high school was probably eighty percent white people. So I grew up a little, and I was like in the talented and gifted classes. I was in all the honors class, so it was a little bit different for me. Um, and this was still the eighties, but you still had to figure it out. You still have to figure it out. But I, but the sixth. So, that, so this is great. So. So 60s and 70s, I, I think of Westchester County, I think of Stepford Wives and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but you're, like said, so your parents were medical professionals. Your dad was a doctor. Um, so did you go to a public school or did you, did you actually go to a private school? Or uh, I spent middle school and high school in private school. Okay. I went to the Hackley School in Tarrytown. Okay. Um, I mean, that was 95% percent like Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, my I have three older sisters. Okay. And my middle sister, my oldest sister went to a different private school in um, in Tarrytown. It was back then. I mean, she's 10 years older than mm-hmm. me. Um, it was called Scarborough School. It doesn't exist anymore. Hackley still exists. It's probably the biggest, you know, most famous private school in Westchester County. Uh, it was class of 79. My middle sister was in the first class of women mm. admitted to Hackley, she came in 1970 and graduated in 72 as a valedictorian. Um, <clears throat> my youngest sister, who's three years older than me, was ahead of me, and um, I pulled up the rear <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, um, as, now is your family African American? Are they from of West Indian descent, or like where? where you know, Ooh, interesting question. Uh, mixed. My father was raised in Bermuda. Okay. Um, his family history really goes back to Montserrat. Oh shit! Um, wow. My grandfather, my paternal grandfather, was born and raised in Montserrat, um, which interestingly means that I am part Irish. <laughs> and I've done my 23 and me. I am 3% Irish. <laughs> because Montserrat was an island where they brought in African slaves and they brought in Irish indentured workers. Yep. Basically, Irish slaves. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and, you know, in the from the 16, late 1600s. Yeah. And, and, you know, by the mid-1700s, those two populations were mixing a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm 33% Irish. Yeah, oh, wow. Um, my, apparently, my I think my father's grandfather uh, maternal was Irish. Oh. <laughs> and I, like, so I got between between me and I'm literally, I'm like as much black as I'm, I'm like a third um, West African oh. and a third Irish. <laughs> 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 and then a bunch of other, a couple other things scattered <laughs> in there. 
Uh, well, my maternal side of the family, um, they're West African. Yeah. Um, they, my grandfather, my actual mo- mother's father, was, was was born and raised in Halifax. Oh, wow. Nova Scotia? Yeah. Shit. Because his family escaped. Wow. <laughs> and made it to Canada. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, and, I, and I did my 23 media. And interestingly enough, um, my wife is Irish. Okay. My wife is 100% Irish. Mm-hmm. So our daughter is 51% Irish. She's more <laughs> Irish than anything. <laughs> this is crazy. I uh, I have a daughter um, uh, from my ex who's Irish. Uh, she lives in Dublin. She's lived there since she's like four. And so she's like 90% Irish. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, it's so wild. Um, and the reason why I asked that question is just because, like, when you're talking about, um, uh, like, I went to law school, and I know you 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 went you actually graduated, passed the bar. I didn't pass the bar. I graduated and passed the bar. But, um, but when I was in law school, so many of the other people of color were, like, West Indian. Like, like I know there's a, just a different there, – there is actually a different – ethos when, you, when people come from the islands. They come to the United States, and they see it more – opportunity than a lot of people or us who grew up here do so i was just wondering and like like you there must was there pressure sister to be at valedictorian or she you know, like just got you know you got to go be the best like there's that whole thing right there was double pressure i mean you're right the, the west indians have a, a true immigrant mentality yeah um which is amazing because those are the people that made this country <laughs> right, right today but you know we had my my father's um caribbean side yeah but you know, my mother, um, they were just both hardcore education people. Yep. It's like this is how you get, mm-hmm. you know, get advanced in this mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. This is what you need. You do this. You need to excel. And we were pushed, pushed, pushed. <clears throat> um, yeah, we all we all went to college. <laughs> you know, my middle my, my middle sister's a doctor. Uh, I was a lawyer, so we have two graduate degrees between the four kids. Um, and that was just because we were just beaten to it. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I, I, this is, it's, I love conversation. I dated this woman way back in college, um, and she was her family was from Guyana, but they moved to Canada. Ten kids all went to Ivy League schools. Like it was no joke. Like like they came home from school and their dad was a teacher. They they was they, were, they had they they, they, didn't, they had homework and then they had homework. <laughs> then they had housework. But all ten of them went to Ivy League school or like or some oh, two went to Wesleyan or stuff. You know or you know, I didn't get into you know, I went to uh, you know Williams, but like all top flight schools, ridiculous. <laughs> You know. My daughter went to Middlebury. They did. So, um, growing up, um, was your family into wine? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you know, sixties. They were. You know, Rio needy. They were <laughs> prosperous, well-to-do black people. They drank cocktails. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they didn't Got drink it. wine. Uh, my wine story began because. Um, my father was the first black physician admitted to practice in hospitals in Westchester County. Damn. And <clears throat> or this is 1951. And um, because of that, he was pretty much an outcast. <clears throat> um, you know, the racism thing yeah. was there. 
and he didn't have a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. um, there was another doctor um, in the area who uh, also was an outcast, but he was a white guy um, who was doing a lot of innovative stuff in medicine and you know doing a lot of experimentation, and they didn't like that. Right. So. <laughs> he was considered crazy. His name was uh, Herbert Gould. Um, so he was ostracized because everybody thought he was crazy. My father was ostracized because he was black. <clears throat> so they became friends. Only, only two people could talk to each other. Yeah. And as a result, I ended up growing up in his household. He was really my second father. Gotcha. And Herbert, I just spoke to him before I came here, by the way. He's 92. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I wanted to make sure... Uh, I got this right, but he formed the Physicians Wine Society. Okay. <clears throat> and that was his thing. Big wine guy. He was in Europe after World War II. He was part of the RAF exchange from America. And he learned all about wine in France and in England and brought all that back, started the Physicians Wine Society, which um, was he had a big, huge cellar that I grew up in since I was a kid mm -hmm. <clears throat> and you know he had no qualms about you know teaching all of us kids about wine you know no matter what age we were and i literally was raised in his wine cellar <laughs> <laughs> and, and he went on to um, be one of the major members of the sioux commandery of the new york of the the testimony the <laughs> the command the the burgundian wine society the one that runs Burgundy and owns uh, Clos Vougeau, Chateau Clos Vougeau. And, um, and that was in the mid-60s. <clears throat> and so I was even too young to drink then, but he helped uh, expand the, um, the Du Testament. And, you know, when I was a teenager, we were all learning about wine, like every day. <laughs> <clears throat> and um, it cascaded down to the point when I was old enough, I had finished grad school, started my career. I was probably 30, I don't know, 31, maybe. Um, and he basically <laughs> insisted that I join either the Commandery de Bordeaux or the Testament, <laughs> or both. <clears throat> and I like Burgundy a lot more than I like Bordeaux, so I took my shot at the, uh, at the De Testament, and I passed the test. Because um, there actually is an oral exam in French okay. about Burgundy as part of your application process. All right. Well, listen, I want to, <laughs> I want to, I want to table that. We got to, because that's so much. But so it's so funny. Like, so you were exposed to wine as a child, just not at your house. It was your your father's yeah. friend. Um, amazing, and I'm sure he has purchased copious amounts of. Burgundy at ridiculous prices because the shit was so cheap back in the day. <laughs> Getting DRC for like six bucks a bottle, probably back in the day. <laughs> oh yeah, oh Herbert, yeah. I mean, <laughs> mostly, I think he ever paid for a bottle of wine was twenty bucks, oh. <clears throat> and that includes you know ninety eighty two Aubryon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, people don't. It's it's a crazy when people come in who are into wine now or getting into wine and they see these prices and and don't understand that. Uh, it's a bit of a phenomenon. I don't think anyone, anyone in Burgundy or Bordeaux had the force like this. Is, these we're going to be getting this type of money for these wines. There's just no way, <laughs> unless you were like 
unless someone had like a flux capacitor and they went into the future like Marty McFly and like, oh my God. And then we came back, we're selling the wine too cheap. I can go there and get for this now. <laughs> Here's a little anecdote. Because uh, I was in my cellar the other day trying to pick wine for Thanksgiving. And uh, I was trying to decide between the 2000 uh, Echozo DRC and I have 90 Echozo as well. That case of 90 Echozo, which I only have a few left, but um, I bought on release in 92 and I bought it at Aster Wines and Liquors. Okay. Walked in the store. It was on the shelf. Yeah, no freaking, <laughs> no, 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 no futures. Just it was on no, the shelf and no, said, give me a case. On the shelf. I grabbed it. It was 800 bucks, <laughs> which was a crazy amount of Well, money and people, people were like, yeah, yeah. What, what's that got to be worth now? Oh, God. 8000 It's probably four or $5,000. $5,000 a bottle. Yeah, I was going to say, and way more than that. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. yeah it's so like it's $60,000. 60, yeah, yeah, 60, <laughs> That was a hell of a buy. Yeah. And you know, what I love, though, is um, you see, if you, you drank it, I mean, I think, anyway, we'll talk about it, but like, uh, I, I get drank I, my wine. I, yeah, the speculation I, I, I of wine. I sold one case, and okay. I'll tell you about it if you want yeah, to hear yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, all right, so um, you attend uh, the boarding school in Tarrytown, and did, was that like a stay school, or you drove back, or you were driven back and forth? Oh, I was a day student. Day student, okay. They okay. have a small five-day boarding program, okay. which one of my best friends was part of. Okay. So, <laughs> Yeah, still to this day. Yeah, is a dear friend of mine. But uh, I was a day student. Okay. I lived in White Plains. Yep. And three of my sisters went to school there. Yeah, and, yeah. And after my youngest sister graduated, my father drove me for a year, and then I could drive myself. Yourself. Nice. Right. Gotcha. <laughs> and, you know, we were one of those families. At sixteen, you get a car. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so, uh, where'd you go to college? Where'd you go to school? Where'd you go? <clears throat> I went to Boston University. BU. Okay. Yep. So now we're talking. So again, like. Uh, you know, giving people context of, of, of issues in America. What year were you in Boston? 70 uh, 79 to 83. Okay, right. So that's that's just a few years after the picture where the guy's trying to stab <laughs> the brother with the American flag. Yeah. Uh, not too long after people throwing bricks at uh, busing buses. Like, what was it like? Uh, what, was, what was the atmosphere at B, B, BU? Well, it was a big university, and we were in that little university bubble. The problems you had was when you went outside of the university yeah. bubble. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I had plenty of people... Saturday night drunk, scream the N-word at yeah. me while I'm walking down the street. And my first internship while I was in college, um, I was really interested in real estate and eventually became a real estate corporate lawyer. Mm -hmm. And I went to work for a real estate project. Uh, one of the old Navy bases was turned over to the city and they're redeveloping it. It was called Boston Marine Industrial Park. And I went there, showed up for work, and all the interns had to take turns going out to South Boston to get lunch for everybody. Oh, so they sent you to Southie <laughs> yeah. to pick up lunch. Yeah. Well, and one of my, you know, my first turn came up, and my, my boss just said, uh, no. <laughs> no, you sit down. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, well, You're good. You're, you're exempt. <laughs> yeah. He said, probably nothing will happen, but not on my watch. <laughs> Right, you don't want to be you don't want to be the manager who like who got the intern, got the intern killed. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and there and there are university bubbles totally. Like you kind of live in your own world. Um, so uh, why? But why be you? Like just like what what attracted you to Boston? Was it um, school? Was it, well, you wanted I to be a terrier. Yeah, I spent my summers most of my childhood in Cape Cod. Okay, my parents had a summer house in Cape Cod. Okay, and so every 
fall, you know, every spring, my mother would pack up all the stuff, and we'd all drive up to the Cape for the for the summer. Uh, so I grew up there. Uh, and was that like, and was that like in the inkwell part, like, like, or just just a, a little bit, bit not, yeah. not not like a proper. bluff, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> not as intense as that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. We had some friends in New York, my, so my father had knew another a doctor who mm-hmm. was part of the um, the Indian tribe on Cape Cod. Okay. Um, uh, the Wampanoags, mm-hmm. and that's where the Wampanoag Reservation is. Okay, wow. And they had a house there, and they were looking around. My father wanted more than anything else in his life to have a house in Martha's Vineyard. Mm-hmm. That was his thing. Mm-hmm. But since he was running a hospital, uh, he used to be director of medicine at White Plains Hospital. <coughs> um, he had Started at the bottom, uh, now he's yeah, here. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but if there was a problem, he had to be able to get, get in his car and drive back to yeah. White Plains. Yeah. Because, you know, flights were yeah. you know, the few venue, and yeah. far between yeah. back then yeah. in, in 1969. <laughs> um, so we had to be on the mainland. Yeah. And so the next best thing for them was being next to his friend, um, Dr. Solitz, uh, who was part of the Wampanoag Indian tribe. And, um, but when it came to BU, I went to such a small, intense private school mm-hmm. um, that I, I couldn't take that anymore. Right, so you're in a city, city campus. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be anonymous. Large, yeah, that yeah. was my mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. What school will give me the most anonymity? <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned that um, you were into real estate. Um, what was your major at B, BU? Oh, I was a political science major. Okay. I was, uh, I'm a history guy. I yep. love history, and that was my thing. You know, I did a, spent a lot of time studying Middle Eastern geography and politics, and um, that was also a ticket to go to law school. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's poli-sci major in law school. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing. I will say, yeah, so you kind of knew you were going to go to law school if you majored in poli-sci. Well, if you really want to know. Yeah, I do. I was, I was like, why law school? I'm just always curious. Um, uh, my father obviously wanted me to be the doctor. Yep. Uh, luckily, my middle sister, the head Satiated of me, that for him. Yeah, took that off. Yep. Uh, you know, she went to Harvard and Yale Med School. Oof. <laughs> uh, so I didn't have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, I kind of woke up towards uh, the end of college, and I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I can go to grad school or get a job. Uh, medical school, no thanks. <laughs> job, no thanks. <laughs> so that left law school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why I went to law school. That was kind of like my logic, too. I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I'm not ready to get a job. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like, it's, I tell you, it's the... Uh, it's a smart person's PhD. It's a smart person's doctorate degree. It's three years. It's a Juris doctor. It's a doctorate degree. Yep. Um, yeah. And, and you don't have to, you have three more years to figure out what you what you want to do. Exactly. With your life. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where did you go to law school? Uh, NYU. Okay. So wow. So you uh, Boston. You said I need a bigger city. Um, and what was that? So. Let's back up. So at BU, was you involved? Were you still? Were you drink? Were you the smooth guy on campus, drinking wine, or you just oh. did the kind of college thing, drink beers, go I to? I was party. doing the college thing. Yeah. I was never a beer drinker, so that was all fake. Okay, but uh, I drank a little wine, but mostly I was just having a American college <laughs> experience. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. All right, so you arrive in at NYU and. Um, did you li- did they have campus housing for law school, or were you just living in? Where were you living when you moved to New York? Um, I lived in the law school has housing for okay. students. So I lived at on Washington Square West. Wow, they own that. They used to own that building. They, since then, they've given it to the undergraduate program, mm-hmm. and they built other 
housing for law students. But mm-hmm. I lived right on Washington Square West. Nice. You know, we used to sit up studying and doing other things. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Looking out the window. Looking out the window. <laughs> Watching the police beat the crap out of people yeah, in Washington exactly. Square Park. You know, go down, not, hopefully not get ripped off by the Rosses down there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, my God. And, what, and this is the 70s. This guy, so you're talking yeah. like punk rock New York like that's like well it was the 80s oh because the 80s okay so so you're at the end of uh, the whole CBG yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. oh spent some time there yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Um, and uh, did you start doing anything with wine or drinking wine at in in law school no I I certainly was collecting on a very low minor level just because I knew about it Okay. And I had a place to put it. I could okay. always put it in Dr. Gould's cellar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, but I wasn't fully into it then. Okay. Not, not until later. Okay. Um, and you say collecting, like, like um, what were you, were you, were you just a Francophile, just getting French stuff, or had you ventured out into other areas, no. or? Back then, it was really Burgundy and Bordeaux. Yeah. Um, I did, I was, Took a run at joining the commandery, but uh, you know there's only so much you can do in this, in this world, and at some point you just need to pick one. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's, I that's... joined the Detestivant first. Yeah, um, so the Comfrey was my place. Comfrey de Chevier Detestivant. Okay, <laughs> and so um, did you have a focus in law school? Like, uh, you know, were you a biz orgs type guy? Did you, did you had you figured out? What you want to do, uh, kind of. You don't really major, but you certainly towards. You the concentrate, yeah. You concentrate, yeah, concentrate, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I took a lot of real estate business classes. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was my concentration. Yeah, yeah. I was international law just because I like the the professors. Mm-hmm. International professors were mm-hmm. fun and cool, and um, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I don't know if I think I was going to get a job at the UN or something, but anyway. Um, all right, so you graduate. Um, yeah, obviously, you, you grew up in New York, so you took the New York bar, I take mm-hmm. it? Okay. Passed the bar, first go around. Yeah. Um, th- well, the first thing I did was I took a job in Connecticut. Okay. Because <clears throat> I figured, I thought for some reason at that moment, I wanted to go back towards home. Okay. Mistake. <laughs> so <laughs> I, w- I went and I worked at the biggest law firm in the state of Connecticut. Oh, which <coughs> one was that one? Um, Cummings and Lockwood back oh, then. It was that, that down in Stanford? Yeah, Stanford. Yeah. Okay. Ten Stanford Forum. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> remembers it very yeah. well. <laughs> but you know, I spent a year there. Hated it. Um, mm-hmm. I ended up shifting to a small uh, boutique firm in New York, okay. which was good. I learned a lot there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was only twenty lawyers, but very intense. What was their focus? Um, corporate real okay. estate. <laughs> okay. Corporate real estate. Okay. Uh, All right. Learned a lot. There were some evil partners. Yeah, I had the whole experience. That, that's so funny. I mean, <laughs> like, it, there is always like every every TV show where there is like the evil partner, right? Um, mm-hmm. and there's some truth to that. Just, yeah. <laughs> um, and, then after that, I went to work for a British law firm. Okay. Um, very big in London. It was back then. It was called Berwyn Leighton. It's merged a bunch of times since then, but. Uh, I joined the New York office, which is only two lawyers. Wow. In okay. London, it was about 1,500 mm-hmm, lawyers. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and we built that practice to about 20 attorneys uh, before I uh, jettisoned out of there. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I left and I went to work for our, our biggest U.S. client. 
and we didn't have a lot of U.S. clients. <laughs> I mean, our purpose was to manage uh, the legal life of the English client's interest in America. Got it. Okay. That was kind of our job, which is how I met my wife. Okay. I met my wife in London. Uh, I was over there on firm business. Was she was she also an attorney or no no oh. she was in advertising. Oh, okay. Um, uh, a friend of mine from Hackley uh, was going to London School of Economics at the time, and I would go to London for work, and I knew no one, and I knew one person from my high school, <laughs> and I'd just go hang out with her, <laughs> and uh, she had become friendly with my wife through her boyfriend. Okay. Because her boyfriend and my wife grew up together. Okay. And so I met my wife one night at her apartment. <laughs> nice. It's like a, um, it's a total like young people's movie. You meet someone at a party, a friend's <laughs> house. I love it. Um, <clears throat> and so um, that boutique, so you were living in Manhattan at the time. That, that firm, obviously the London firm was located yeah. here. Okay. Yeah. And so you go to work for their client. Um, was that also, was that client also New York based? Or yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. Um, <clears throat> big, big New York real estate firm. Okay. <laughs> and so um, what did you do for them? Were you like lead counsel or what were you kind of like doing? For I them? was really, I was of counsel, okay. but I was really there to work on a special project. We had a big, huge government contract. Okay. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of your listeners will not remember this. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> there, there used to be a huge real estate problem and mortgage problem back in the late 80s, early 90s. And... The government formed uh, what was called oh, was Resolution that, Trust. Was that out of the, the savings and loan shit? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, That was it. Yeah, you guys don't remember that. That was a... Uh, RTC. Yeah. Resolution Trust Corporation. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we were hired to manage portfolios for the government, and that's what I went to do. <clears throat> and we did that for a couple of years. We managed them, packaged them, sold them off for the government, and so the government was in on this the whole REITs thing. <laughs> like there's oh, yeah. a cyclical. <laughs> See, people think people think there's really nothing new under the sun. Like it's just the delivery systems change. But like the basic strategies of wealth building have never changed. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about justice. Just us. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. It's, right. I mean, like, ugh. oh, so okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, you, if you're a younger listener. Cause I got listeners of all ages, but a lot, of, I think a lot of people are in the pocket, like my age, um, or an, a fair amount. Um, so they get the references. Um, I, I, you know, my, my pop culture references aren't so good for my younger listeners. So hopefully you learn something. You go like, Oh, um, yeah. Like in, interest rates that people don't even know, like interest rates in the seventies were like 15% on a mortgage. People are bitching about 6%, 6.5%. My first apartment, uh, my interest rate was 12 something. <laughs> <laughs> First apartment I bought, <laughs> and that was good. Right? Yeah, you're like, Phew. Yeah. not paying seventeen percent. No, literally, it was like, it's insane. Um, <clears throat> so, okay, you're working. You're working for this client. You're doing this. You're managing uh, the the mess that the same loan made. Um, what was kind of like your next step in your in your your real estate career? Well, that project. You know, ran its course. I mean, we had a, all these assets, and we got rid of most yeah, of them. Yeah. But we couldn't get rid of all of them. <laughs> so my next step was to take the stuff we couldn't sell for love or money, and I left with a partner, and we started a little real estate company and managed those assets. Okay. And did that for, oh, man, eight years? <laughs> 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 and... Um, 
we sold out of that eight years later, and uh, then I went on to do some entrepreneurial stuff, stuff I always wanted to do. For instance, back to, to bring up the restaurant again, Yeah, I always went on a restaurant, a uh, big sort of amateur chef, you know, certainly done a lot of training, mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to own a restaurant, so I opened one. <laughs> um, it was a bit of a midlife crisis, I'll give you that. And I keep telling my wife, I said, look, it could have been a blonde in a convertible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I just, I had this image of, when you said uh, open restaurant, I, I, the Michael Clayton, uh, the, the Mike, um, George Clooney movie where he played the lawyer and, and he opened the restaurant with his brother. He's like, he's like, yeah, midlife crisis. Every lawyer wants to own a restaurant. <laughs> well, I was foolish enough to do it. <laughs> um, we had a great wine list. Actually, Adrian helped me build the wine list. Okay, That's how okay. far back we got. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we won the award for the best new restaurant in the Hamptons. Oh, shit. Because it was out What was the name of your I restaurant? Did. And what years were this? Uh, it was one year. One year. My, at the end of that year, my wife was you're done. <laughs> you know, hope you had a good time. You're done. Uh, it was called Slip 23. Okay. Uh, it was in Shelter Island, okay. New York. Yep. Where it's, where, which is where I live. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, uh, that's awesome. So, um, yeah, so for because I do have a lot – I think a lot of people have become enamored with um, – the restaurant business and even the wine business, particularly now, because you know, you first you start with Food Network, and but then like now there's like even Som TV, and, and like, and, and it and it makes it look so glamorous. No, it's brutal. Yeah, tell, but, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so brutal. so here you are, a seasoned <laughs> professional, um, and 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 I think what people don't like, I'm not saying that skill sets um, necessarily carry over, but a restaurant's a business, and you've done a, you did a lot of business, a lot of business deals. Mm-hmm. Right, so you understand P and L. Like you're not just like I'm a chef. I want to. I'm a restaurant. Like like you understood what you're going into. How freaking hard was it, man? Oh, the margins are so thin. It's. It, I don't help people make money. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, staff, staff, they work hard. They're great. I mean, my front end house staff was amazing. Yeah. But you're basically giving people these jobs that are. Really hard, long hours, really low pay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That's so. I've been listening to a lot. I uh, Bourdain clips, whatever, on social media because I just finished the the book about um, that his producer wrote about him, and you know he talks about. Cause, but there's this one clip. He's like, you know. You think you want to be in the restaurant business? You need to go, you know, anywhere. He's like Olive Garden. I don't care. And you go work there for a month and then see if you still want to be in the restaurant business, right? Yeah. Right? Because, like you said, like, you know, you go to the CIA, you can go to the Cordon Bleu. You you make a minimum wage yeah. and you're getting hollowed at. And it's it's. And that's the, the worst yeah. than people. Even yeah. good people go go wrong. Yeah, he's like, yeah. He's, he's like either you like the hot, the the fast pace, the cursing, the 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 tension, the you know, or you don't. There's two type of people in the world. Like and so, so I think when I see people, I see people say, oh, um, you know, I for one worked. I worked in a restaurant um, as a som and, and as in California. But like I, when I grew up in Jersey, I worked with this guy. I was like, I was like, no, I'll be back at the house. I didn't want to be front of the house. I didn't want to. I wasn't gonna wait. Like I didn't want to wait on people where I was because I didn't want to take their abuse. <laughs> Being black to like be the only black waiter and like in this 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 like restaurant on the river in Jersey, 
I knew I was going to get the shit. I wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't even trying to have it, you know? Um, and, you know, I hear these experiences of people in these fine dining restaurants. And, you know, I had a guest, Victoria James, and she worked at one, you know, she was a summit. And, like, like, what the guests say, how they talk to the servers. And, 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 and there's no – and at that level, the customer's right. Yeah. The customer's right. But it'll make you never talk to somebody like that again. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Um, so um, it's funny. My wife shut it down. I <laughs> so um, this wine's not bad. Yeah, it's opening up, right? Yeah. yeah. Really no, I, I, I will say Washington State wines. And I was just actually in Walla Walla for the first time. Um, and, I, and their Bordeaux stuff is, I mean, you go back to like Leonetti and, you know, some of the origins. Um yeah. Their Bordeaux stuff is really is good, uh, and their own stuff is good. I, I you know, um, you know, I've, I've had a decent Chardonnay. I've never had a Pinot from Washington. I know it's out there. I've never had one. We, um, you know, somebody listening who makes Pinot in Washington, if you want to send me a bottle or two, <laughs> please do. But uh, yeah, no, it's not bad at all. Um, this one has good structure. Um, it's a little too juicy berry for me. Yeah. But well, it gets it's it, just me. Yeah, no, but it, I mean, it does get, it does get, it's hot there, you know? Um, and so, but like I said, this is 14, but I do get the structure. I'm getting some pencil lead. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Getting a tiny bit of licorice, but. Uh. Yeah, a little bit of licorice, and, you know. <laughs> um, all right, so. Um, you worked with your, your partner managing these, like, these uh, things you couldn't sell for, like, eight years, and then you sold that off. Um, and then um, you did some entrepreneurial work. You, you opened the restaurant, and then after that, the Clybosh got put on that. Um, <laughs> oh, then I did a few other things. I did. Um, I started an alcoholic cider company with a friend of mine. Oh wow! The thing about entrepreneurs, at least good ones, is they're ten or fifteen years ahead of their time. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. it's. Yeah, and we were a little early. <laughs> yeah, I mean now think about. I mean now it's like. It's a thing. Yeah. And we, we had an amazing product, but like everybody's like, what? <laughs> um, but that was fun. Was that from like um, uh, apples and pears from like New York or? Uh, no, Vermont. Vermont, okay. We actually okay. had it made for us in Vermont. Oh, I bet that recipe. was really good, man. Recipe, yeah. Dude. It was actually made for us by Woodchuck. Wow. <laughs> it, was, it was a really great product. Uh, it's too bad. Ten years later, it would have been an amazing project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, though. I think people don't understand. Like, um, there's like the first one through the door gets shot or punched in the face. Like, like it's it it like it is a balance of being like this visionary, um, but also having your timing right. Yeah. You know? So you had your own cider. See, now I, I love these stories, right? Because because there's there's often there's sometimes conversations like. We need more, you know, minority people doing this and that. But like, you were just doing it. <laughs> like, you're like, I want to open a restaurant. You open I a grew restaurant. up at a time and in, in a, a socioeconomic place where we were just told to do it. We were yeah. like, don't worry about um, the racial stuff. You just be the best that you can be and just do it. Yeah, that's kind of how I was raised that way too. I'm like at the end of that generation. It was, just, it was just like I'm just out here trying to be the best at what I do. You know. Oh. And, and and it was never a thought like I needed to see someone who looked like me. I just I knew what I wanted to do. I'm like you know I could look at anything. I could look at a movie with, you know, Tom Cruise and be like I want to be a pilot. I didn't have to. I didn't have to, you know. Yeah. And and there's t 
tons of great black pies. But I didn't I didn't have to see. I was like, oh, that's cool. Look at that. I want to do that. That was just kind of my mentality. There also was no other option. Yeah, <laughs> you know, those were the only role models. Yeah, exactly. Time. So like, when you look for them, we you know. So there's something a lot to be said for for both sides of that. But I think. I tell people all the time I, when they ask me about racial, I'm like, I, said, I was raised really well. Like, not, like I can't control other people, so I, n- I had to focus on what I could control, which was me. Well, there's an old Buddhist proverb uh, that roughly, I'm going to paraphrase it and butcher it to death, but it's uh, <clears throat> stop trying to control the storm. You know, or stop, stop trying to calm the storm. Calm yourself. Mm-hmm. The storm will pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Um, so um, she had a cider company, <laughs> which is wine, by the way. Right, Ferment, yeah, <laughs> fermentation. All That's all it is. Yep, it's wine. Yep, it's apple wine. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And I, I love a good cider, man. I've, I've, I got some cider at home from France. Like there's, there's, some, but Vermont, I could see, I, I could see Vermont making some great cider. Yeah, most of it, you know, the other stuff came out too sweet. Ours was a really nice, dry, lightly. Um, Lightly bubbly. Mm-hmm. It was really good. <laughs> you should bring it back, man. <laughs> <laughs> My wife would not allow that. <laughs> <laughs> we could make it work. <laughs> we got the team. <laughs> like in my restaurant, she said. <laughs> You're done, <laughs> or we're done. <laughs> well, you, you know that one. If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy, right? <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, you know, this is, a, this is probably a good time to take a quick break. Uh, I'll be back with more Benjamin. We're going to dive into some crazy wine and sailing stuff, so we'll be right back. Did you know that one out of every five bottles of collectible wines is a fake? Rare Liquid has solved this problem with a tech platform that provides unprecedented trust and transparency for next-gen wine collectors. Working directly with iconic artisans, they verify each bottle's provenance at its source, then track its rarity, ownership, storage, and transfer history on the blockchain. Rare Liquid members get exclusive access to these verified rare wines and can buy, store, and pimp their collections on the Rare Liquid platform. Membership includes physical seller storage as well as cloud sellers where you can display and trade bottles frictionlessly online without ever having to move the bottle until it's ready to be consumed. And because Rare Liquid tracks these on the blockchain for the first time, artisans get a residual payment every time one of their bottles transfers ownership. Rare Liquid's game-changing tech creates a safe and frictionless experience for next-gen collectors while fairly rewarding iconic artisans for their craft. Rare Liquid membership is by invite only, but luckily I can help. I have a limited number of these invitations available for you, my listeners. And if you're interested in learning more about Rare Liquid, please reach out. You can hit me up on Instagram, at BlackWineGuy, or even better, send me an email, BlackWineGuy at gmail.com, and drop Rare Liquid in the subject line. Okay, we're back. Um, so, you mentioned a few minutes ago that you started collecting when you were in law school. Um, so, you also mentioned you bought your first place and it was twelve percent uh, mortgage rate. <laughs> um, did you? Uh, is that? Did you really start to buy wine once you bought your first apartment? What, what would you say? When? How? How did the progression of you as a wine enthusiast and collector go? Oh, it, it goes back before then. Okay. When I was a teenager mm-hmm. um, because I was. 
in Dr. Good's cellar drinking and buying stuff I liked and sticking it in there. Okay, so you, yeah, so I, <laughs> I you know, you said that, yeah, so you, you actually had a, you, did you, now, was it like, did everybody have their little tags? I knew who's what was what, or you had your little section of the cellar? I had, I had a little pallet okay. in the corner of the cellar. Okay. And he said, put wherever you want over there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure there was a wine tax. Right. Yeah. <laughs> He's looking around yeah. for something to drink. He's like, oh, that looks good. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wine tax. Yeah. <laughs> I got wine tax by a buddy of mine. I, 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 I out in California in April and. And I, I was at a uh, hospice to run, and a bunch of people gave me bottles. Mm-hmm. And I was like, stayed with a buddy, and I was like, um, and he's like, yeah, I'll ship that to you. <laughs> and I just got back out there. <laughs> Get back 11 there bottles. Was, there was two bottles <laughs> left. I had six <laughs> bottles, there was two bottles left. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And he just kind of laughed, I laughed. His wife was like, I told him not to do it. I was like, yeah, I knew it was happening. <laughs> My text. <laughs> like, yep. All right, so you started your collection then, and like you said, you obviously you, you – uh, you're a burgundy man. Yes. Okay. Um, so let's get into. Uh, well, go ahead. I am the first black member of the <laughs> Du Testament. Du Testament. There you go. The Chevalier, <laughs> the Comfrey de Chevalier. The, uh, can speak today. I don't know why. <laughs> the Comfrey de Chevalier Du Testament. Okay. Uh, I joined in 1994, five, something Damn, like that. Man. Wow. And I was the first black member of the New York chapter. Wow. And uh, that was never discussed. That never came up. Right. Like, like, <laughs> I, I, I find it interesting because like, even people are like, why the black wine guys? Like, I just try to make it easy on my white friends. Like, you, like, you don't have to be like, who was that guy? I think he went to law school. He knew a lot about wine. It's like, like back in the night, I was like, I was the only black dude there. So I just say, who was the black dude? I like drinking with him. Like, just so, but like. Well, my claim to fame is the copycats that came after me are guys like Neil deGrasse Tyson. Mm. You know, he's now a member of the decimal. <laughs> I blazed the way for him. That's right. Look at that. How you like me now? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that's, that's kind of wild, right? Like, like, um, they, you know, and and I, I, I do try and understand because, and I've had some stuff going on. Like you said, like you said you like you were in Boston. You know, people. You know, you had your share of n words growing up when it was going on, and um, but like. Um, I just had an incident a couple of weeks ago in the city, like just crazy. Um, but I never had been to a wine thing where I felt uncomfortable. I, I like people figured if I was there, I had a certain level of knowledge, and they would talk to me. You know, um, so what was it like for you? Like, so like, so there's a whole test. So, like, um, first of all, is this seems like something you'd have to be nominated for. You have to know someone to get in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's okay. invitation only. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I knew enough people through Dr. Dr. Gould. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and he was one of the major members gotcha. of the Tesla, and I was his protege. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but I still had to pass the test. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and, you know, the, the membership committee's there, and they got these questions are thrown at you, and, um, and most of them you have to answer in French. And Damn, I'm not a French speaker. I'm yeah, a Spanish speaker. yeah, dude, I, I'm, I, I'd be out. <laughs> I had to learn all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I went to law school. I can learn stuff. Yeah, fast. it's true. <laughs> um, as far as you said, do you, do you find? Because I found for me, like the ability to do research that I learned from law school and real research, like you didn't like. We had Westlaw and Nexus was 
because I, I I went ninety three to ninety six, so it was just coming on. But you only got like an hour a semester on, it. like it, it was very limited. Versus like now people can do research just on Google, but like having to shepherdize cases and everything, like. Do you think <laughs> it's a little PTSD? Yeah. <laughs> do, do you think like there is there is something in the training of law, legal research that helps you distinguish notes and wines? Yeah, it is a way of thinking that you're trained, and that's all wine. That's all law school is. They teach you how to think and how to take tests. And <laughs> um, but you can apply that to other things. I mean, first, law school ruined my ability to read. Mm. You know, people pleasure read. They go to the beach. Oh yeah, yeah. I can't do that yeah. because, you know, I was trained to read every word mm-hmm. very slowly mm-hmm. and dissect it and parse mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And that's not pleasure reading. It's not. <laughs> You're looking for the mistake. You're looking for yeah. the opening. Yeah. You know. No, it ruined my ruined reading for me. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read books since law school. <laughs> I love Audible though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I I was I, I love Audible, man. Yeah. Hands free, uh, hands busy, mm-hmm. mind free time. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so you you pass the test, you're in, and like, and did you say, I don't want to step out like that society, the test event, they own. Clos Rougeau? Oh, the, the chateau. The chateau. Yeah, that is surrounded. They actually own the building. That's their headquarters. Shit. That's where they hold their big party for the Hospice de Bon. Okay. Uh, okay. In Clovis-Chef. So there's people who know it, but t- for people, have you ever been to Hospice de Bon? Yeah. Of yeah. course you have. So <laughs> tell people what Hospice de Bon is. Oh, wow. Uh, trois Glorieuses. Uh, <laughs> the Three Glorious Days. It uh, happens in November. Normally in Burgundy, the harvest is mid-September. Okay. Um, they sort of get everything uh Produce, pressed, barreled, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they do during the hospice to bone is that's a hospital in bone. It's owned by a bunch of nuns, and um, various vineyards donate portions of their harvest mm-hmm. to the hospital, and various winemakers produce that wine, and the hospital then auctions off that wine. Got it. Um, in mid-November. Mm-hmm. And there's three days of <sighs> craziness that goes on. I mean, literally. I mean, you're out doing barrel tastings at 6.30 in the morning. Oh. And, and the parties at night, it's just nonstop insanity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not for the faint of heart. Like, people, like, like, like yeah, no, it's... <laughs> and then the... The Detestron throws a big party at the Clover Show, and, and it's yeah. six, seven hundred people for dinner. And it, it, it's nuts, um, but a lot of fun, and you need to sleep when you're done. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, so back to your cellar, which you were, you know, was kept at Dr. Gould's. Um, when did you acquire your first space that you had your own wine cellar? Let's put it well, that well, before that, I. Ended up having too much wine to get, leave at his house. Yeah, I was, I was so figuring, much yeah, that exactly. Probably get drunk and yeah. other people. You like <laughs> so I shipped it to commercial storage. Okay. And I, uh, I put it in a wine warehouse. And I really didn't have my, f- I had a wine fridge at home, mm-hmm. you know, Cobb's. But, you know, that can be anywhere from 50 bottles to 300 bottles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but which is which I know a lot of think that's a lot of wine, but not if you're a collector, it's yeah. it's, it's not a lot. because you want to browse and peruse right. and have choices. Yeah. But I lived in New York City and yeah. I didn't have 
yep. room to store lots of wine. Um, but I bought a house in Long Island. Okay. Um, and oh, my kid, she was one. So 1999. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we built the wine cellar in the basement of the house. We renovated it. Two years later, we did a big renovation, and we built a big wine cellar. And my wine's been there ever since. <laughs> so. um, how many bottles? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Drives my wife crazy. He's like, why don't you inventory it? I'm like, I don't care. I mean, <laughs> I'd rather just wander around and find something. <laughs> and that's, that is a big part of the pleasure. I see people like, I, I can understand the need to catalog your wine cellar, but half the fun when you love wine, like, mm-hmm. it's just meandering. Like I go in, like I was, like I said, I was out in Washington and went into this wine store and uh, I just wanted to meander. And then they, they then it, I was like, you know, then they realized who I was, just that I was out there to do a podcast and knew a bunch of their friends and winemakers. But literally I'm like, I'm like, dude, I go in a store and if it's a good one, I just want to meander for a while. I just want to just go around and I'm like, oh, they got this. Oh, that. And does it lead to stuff going bad? Yeah, of course you skip things you should have drank yeah. 20 years ago. But you know what? Wine tax. There you go, right? <laughs> you want to pay, you got to play. And, and you know, I I fortunately don't have that much wine. I have a regular cellar. A couple years ago, you'll appreciate it. My wife bought me this wine rack. It's just like a little wooden rack. And like, and she's like, here's for your wine, right? So I put it together. She thought it was like, because I have boxes and boxes. Because Plus, when I started podcasts, people started sending me stuff. Um, and so, like, I filled up the rack, and there was still just tons of boxes. She's like, it only held 84 bottles. I was like, like you, you, thought, you thought that was going to hold all the wine that's down here? <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, so in that cellar of yours, we, we've established you're a Burgundian guy, a Burgundy man. Um not so much a Bordeaux, but like, is it is it is it mixed? I mean, what what do you? What oh, it's, it's very mixed. I mean, also over the years. I mean, I have a lot of Bordeaux. Make no mistake. Okay. And a lot of it I got through, uh, you know, Doctor Gould and his friends. I mean, I have a lot of Bordeaux from the '60s and '70s, and it's not my thing, so I don't drink it. And it's been sitting there for 20 years. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, as time goes on, I you know I love Tempranillo. I I've really moved out into the world <laughs> in wine, but yeah. you know, in the early days, I was drinking. If I wasn't drinking Burgundy, I was drinking Bordeaux, and that was it. I mean, <laughs> it's not a bad life drinking Burgundy and Bordeaux, but I love so many things. But like, but I mean, if I had the Burgundies you have, I'd just be like kicking back. And and white Burgundies too, just red. Yeah, yeah. no. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I got to look into those. There's a couple of cases I got to check to make sure they're okay, but they. Wine tax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> so let's uh, kind of commingle some things. So, to to you know, you had a you had a sounds like you had a, a pretty successful career working as a commercial like a, a real estate lawyer attorney. Then you did some entrepreneurial things, and then um, as I started out, like you're now like an expert in the the co working space. Oh, um, yes. Theoretically, <laughs> like uh, I refer to myself as an OG. Yes, yes, an OG. Um, I, I operated one of the first, well, really the first premium shared workspace in New York City. Um, I started my company when WeWork started, and so Adam and I started the the industry in New York. Together. Okay, and um, he did what he did. <laughs> um, 
We grew. We had, we had four, four large spaces here in Manhattan, um, one in Chicago. And um, it was very based on building the community in a really, not opulent, but a, you know, a professional setting. And um, we, I did that for seven years, and that was about as long as I've done anything. <laughs> and it was time for me to go. <laughs> um, so, so you said you started. So, Alex's WeWork, which has been like three or four movies about now, or yeah. well, if you read the books about WeWork, mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't in any movie. I'm in mo- lo- most of the books. Okay, <laughs> I, I get a mention here okay. and there. So, you were like a rival. I, in the beginning. In the yeah. beginning. Yeah. So, so like, I would love to get your space. So, because like, he turned out it was like a Ponzi scheme, and oh yeah, he was he was a crook. Yeah, he was a crook. <laughs> but like he, and made, we knew that in the beginning. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like for <laughs> yeah. you, for you as someone who like had real estate law practice and all, you know, come from this background, mm-hmm. you see this guy, and from what I, I got to read the books, I'll listen, I'll pick up an audible. But like, but he was like a charlatan. He was like he spoke all this flowery language. He was like mixing like. Like uh, fake Buddhism and karmism and all this stuff together, <laughs> and like, people were throwing money at that dude. Yep, that was Adam. And look, you know, I, I don't know how he walked away with. And then he walked hundreds away. Hundreds of millions. Yeah, of and then he walked away. Got to keep the jet and like 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 seven hundred million dollars, some crazy yeah, shit. Yeah. When 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 he he tanked the company, like they still gave him like like that's some smooth shit, man. Yeah. That's some charismatic <laughs> shit. I mean, it's like. Snake oil stuff. Yeah, but, but it happened, and that was his life. I could not sleep at night. Doing yeah, stuff like yeah. that. It's not who I am. Um, and we built a really great business. That was a lot of fun to run for a long time. I think I had more fun doing that than anything I've done. And and what was it about that? Was it that you felt like you were supporting entrepreneurs? What was so fun about that project? It's that, but it, it's the people. Mm-hmm. You know, we had three thousand members and. I was the original community manager, just oh, wow. working with the people every day, working with those entrepreneurs every day. And you know, a lot of those companies are out there and thriving, and that all started at my space. That's awesome. <laughs> so I'm proud of that. Yeah, proud of that. that's really great. So you, you, I mean, you have some some expensive habits, wine. <laughs> and then yachting, so like <laughs> yachting sounds so bizarre. I know, because right? <laughs> like, you know, you know, that's a joke. Like, brother, we don't, we ain't got on boats since they brought us over. We, we're not too fond of boats, uh, <laughs> unless you're fond of boats. <laughs> um, so when did it, when did you kind of catch the yachting bug? Um, <coughs> Cape Cod. I grew up in Cape Cod, as I mentioned <clears throat> in okay. the summers. Um, it really happened when uh, I was the fourth of four kids. My parents at one point decided that they were tired of raising children and wanted to send me to boarding school. Okay. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going. <laughs> so they spent a lot of time thinking of all these tricks. And one of their <laughs> tricks was, um, since we were in Cape Cod, they sent me to a school called Tabor Academy, okay. which is the big New England sailing, sailing school. It's in Marion, Massachusetts, just across the bridge from Cape Cod. So uh, they can send me there for the summer. They can spend their summer in Cape Cod. And... Um, that's where I learned to sell. <laughs> and at the end of the summer, I called them. I was like, ah, this was great. Love sailing. Yeah, well, when are you picking me up? And they were like, well, we kind of enrolled you in school. <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, you're either picking me up or I'm hitchhiking home. <laughs> so, but my takeaway from Tabor was selling. Okay. And um, 
you know, it was hard to rustle it up over the following years, but I did. Okay. And um, I went sort of hardcore on it when I when I first came to Shelter Island. I came to Shelter Island, where I live, to race in a one design, thirty foot racing boat fleet they have there. Um, they're called Etchels, if anybody knows. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've been racing Etchels there for thirty years. So <laughs> is Etchels like okay? So. Not everybody, but a lot of people. And I was like, I, I have cognizant all of them. The America's Cup. Yeah. What size are those boats um, compared to these Etchels you're well, talking these about? These days, yeah. well, there's GP40s and then there's the 75s, which are going to be the final boat they compete in. Okay. Um, but uh, an Etchels is a 30 foot boat. Okay. Um, but that, the Etchels is traditionally the boat that all the America's Cup teams train on. Okay. <laughs> That's what they train on before they go on to. The, the American side. It's super Olympic professional. Yeah, it's a tough boat to sell. I was wondering, I mean, because like, so 30, so I would think 75 feet would be tougher to control. So there must be something inside of that 30 foot boat, like I said, that, that you've learned this, the, all the skills, or something, you know, like. The thing about Atchels is everything's adjustable. <laughs> Everything. Uh, okay. And that's what makes it hard to sell. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but it's we have a great fleet in Shelter Island, you, you know, and we run a lot of regattas. We just did the New England Championship at the club, um, so it's it's just a great fleet. It's kept me interested and happy for thirty years. So what's a rear commodore? Uh, <laughs> I can't believe you pulled this off my. I, I should take this <laughs> yeah, off you, my. It, it, this is all you linked in, man. This is all linked in because they hate being talked about, but. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've been a, a part of the Yacht Club since I came 30 years ago. Okay. I joined the club 25 or 26 years ago. I was the first black member of Shelter Island Yacht Club. You got, you, 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 that's the theme. Like, I'm the first black guy who did this, and I'm the first black guy who did yeah. that. <laughs> uh, and I'll, I've never even looked into that. I wonder if I'll be the first black Commodore of a, you know. That's interesting. Near uh, the top tier Yacht Club. Yeah, shit. <laughs> but um, basically... The officer track has mm. five pieces. Mm -hmm. You start as the secretary of the club for two years, then you run as the treasurer of the club for two years. And for each position, the membership has to vote you in. And then there's the rear commodore piece, and I run two committees at the club as rear commodore. And um, I have one more year to go, and then I become the vice commodore, and I run four committees at the club. And I have to be voted in for my next month, and then I have to be voted in as Commodore. So in three years, if all goes well, I'll be voted in as Commodore of the club. And uh, basically, it's a CEO of Yacht Club. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. That's cool, man. <laughs> it, look, it's a wonderful community. Yeah. It's about community, right? Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, and I think, I think when we talk, when we, for me, when we talk about diversity, diversity, um, it's finding the right community. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And... It's, it's kind of like it all fits together. It's like wine. They do the test one. I was the first black member of the test one. We never talked about that. Yeah. We're like, you like wine? Yeah. You, you get this? You know this? You know that? Fine. You're in. Right. Children on Yacht Club was like, oh, you like to sell? Yeah. You can sell naturals. <laughs> You've done well. The last bunch of years off. You're in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty inter it's interesting how, 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 how things unfold for, for people. And I think a lot has to do with, we talked about this context. Context and your perspective going into a situation is really going to can really help shape the outcome. Mm -mm. 
um, you know. Um, so <clears throat> let's talk about uh, because you mentioned that that your parents' house was uh, part of uh, Indian uh, land or adjacent to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then talk about um, Sylvester Manor because I, I, <laughs> I Googled that after I saw that on your LinkedIn oh. and, and are you, like I said, you were the past president of the board of directors and you're a current board member. So what is Sylvester Manor? Ooh, super interesting place. Uh, and I'm always amazed every day that nobody knows this stuff. Yeah. Um, Sylvester Manor used to be all of Shelter Island. Mm. It was a provisioning plantation for the sugarcane plantations in Barbados that the family owned, uh, the Sylvester family. And they used to grow food there for the boats going back and forth from America to the Caribbean. And they used to grow food for the slaves in the plantation. But Sylvester Manor was the largest slave plantation in the Northeast. And nobody knows this. I, I listen. I was like, he's got to talk about. It. I was like, no, nobody, nobody does know that. No, I mean, it's absolutely fascinating because it, it's it was in the same family for three hundred and fifty years. It was their homestead, and um, I, I had a friend who was close with one of the nephews of the family when the matriarch, the final matriarch, died in 06, Um It went to a guy who lived in California, um, who was a great guy. Uh, he, but he lived in California, his life was there. He was one of the early animators at Pixar. You know, he was living in California, he didn't need this. <laughs> right. Early animator at Pixar is good to go. Good to go. <laughs> and he was fairly involved and he, yeah. he loves the thing, it's his family's homestead, whatever. But we basically, the nephew wanted to start a farm, started farming again there, because he went to Middlebury and started the organic farm there. And he, did, he had not a lot of business sense, and so our mutual friend brought him to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, this is cool. I can help with this. I can do the business stuff. We can. So we started a CSA. We started farming. It was really hard. <clears throat> and a couple of years later, we formed a not-for-profit, and... Then a couple of years later, we got the guy in California to give the whole thing to the not-for-profit. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, what was he going to do with right, it? Right. <laughs> and so now we have this not-for-profit that has 250 acres and a manor house and all the artifacts from the family. And there's a huge slave graveyard there. And there's a Native American graveyard there. And... We've started doing archaeological digs. Well, actually, the matriarch before she died started that. So we have a, a partnership with UMass Boston, the archaeological department there, and they come and run digs every year. And the stuff we found over the last 15 years is just incredible. Um, there's this thing called the pot that they dug up probably 20 years ago. Uh, maybe now less than that, 15. But it is this pot that is baked like they used to um, bake pottery in Africa. Okay. And it has adornments that are very Native American, and it has a handle, which is European. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and it brings all three cultures together, together in this one thing. And it's up at UMass Boston. They, they they bring it down to show it to us every now and then. Oh, so yeah, so, <laughs> so kind of the deal is like they dig the artifacts and, and then they go put them on display. Yeah. But... Um, it is really beginning to take off. Uh, we have received a small grant from Mellon Foundation last year, 
and they've become enamored with the work we're doing on the history and heritage side. We've just started a partnership with the Shinnecock Nation in Long Island because those were all their people. That are, some of them are buried there, and that was their summer camp, actually, before um, the Sylvester showed up. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they're very interested in being involved in uh, how the whole thing is preserved. And um, we're about to start work on the, uh, the manor house, which the original manor house was built in uh, the 1650s. Mm. Um, we're not sure what happened to it, but the new one that the new one was 1732. <laughs> and we think the wow. old, old one is underneath the new one. Wow. Because <laughs> back then, you know, you didn't have Home Depot. Yeah. You, know, you wanted to build something new, you just took yeah. down the old one and used that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, so, like, can someone, like, go tour it? I mean, are you guys? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, in the summer. In the summer. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we have a farm stand and a huge CSA program and an eight-acre farm, organic farm that, is very active, um, and we're building all the history and heritage programs up again. Um, we have a summer camp for kids. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty active, uh, but the time to come to see the manor house and some of the artifacts is in the summer. Okay, um, that's that's incredible. Um, <clears throat> so let's talk about let's. Um, Oh, yeah, we need to do some. We need to do a black wine guy event out there, man. That's what I'm thinking. We could do some. Works for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, what? we can get some of the vineyards out there. To yeah, come play. Yeah, that's easy. That'd be really fun. We have those relationships for all the events. We have concerts on the property, and we bring the the wineries in. So, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to get some. Of, I'm trying to get some of this DRC, y'all. Don't 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 be <laughs> mad at me. <laughs> well, that's at my house, so. Before or after? Yeah, I'm saying, black okay, exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. We can go to my house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm talking about. So um, the wine, going back to the wine. So um, you go to Hospice to Bone, you're probably fairly regularly, I would say, you've attended a decent amount of times. <laughs> um, what are some of, like, your uh, memorable wine experiences, like, you know, starting back with the doctor, like what are some of your memorable wine, like a, give us like a wine timeline for you. Oh God, let's see, when I started the first, um, he taught me a lot about German wine to start. Okay. Because it, it's such a range. Um, when you when you just stick to the QMP, uh, the Qualitates Wine, the Powder Cat, yep. um, you, know, you start with Cabernet, very dry, usually. Then you go to Spade Laser, Ausch Laser, Beer Nationaler, Trunk of Beer Nationaler, and the Ninth Wine, um, <coughs> which is the wine that's left on the Noble Rot. It freezes, yeah, no yep, yep. freezes <laughs> the berries. They get like one drop of juice yeah. out of out of everything. <laughs> and so that's where he started me. It's like everything's right here. <laughs> yeah. I think that's brilliant though, because <laughs> yeah. even to this day, like I like I tell people, I go to these things, Riesling study. You got to come to a Riesling study event. It's just crazy. It's all Riesling, um, but. Um, you know, work in retail, you'd say reason, like, oh, I don't want anything sweet. People don't understand. And that's, I'm like, wow, that's kind of brilliant. That does take you through the full range of wines. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's brilliant he started there. So, so oh, that's that's really interesting. And, and Spain laser and Ouch laser are just wonderful. Oh, my God, give me wines. some foie gras. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Oh, yeah, give me some spicy food. They're perfect. Like, I, th I just think there's, and I think that's really so funny you talk about being part of these wine societies you're in and everything. 
Um, but there's a lot of people like they, when they start drinking wine, like they think like sweet wine is bad wine. Like oh, you know, and like like no, Alge laser, split laser, so it turns. And then there's everything that's going on in Austria. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, in Austria was 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 nothing back then i'm sure like i mean it's, it was nothing but they run the same gamut they do the same thing all right so he started you there with uh with german wines and and uh and then kind of how did it what was then what was like the next lesson for his uh proteges well, well interestingly enough it was a lot of bordeaux okay <laughs> back then okay. and i was more interested in the burgundies gotcha you know with the terroir and it just seemed more connected to the earth mm. Mm. And there was also less, a lot less pomp and circumstance back then. People don't get, yeah. Um, Burgundy was very humble, mm-hmm. very, very humble. Probably till about the mid two thousands, actually, it was still quasi yeah. humble. Oh, then, man, now it's nuts. Nuts, nuts. Um, yeah, it was farmers, <clears throat> hands in the dirt. Um, uh, a lot of people weren't even producing wine from the hectares; they were just going to the mm-hmm. commune with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk more about that. I like you said it just oh. seemed more ter- down to earth, terroir connected to earth. I like that. Where are you going? Yeah, with that? and th- I was more attracted to Burgundy. We were drinking a lot of Bordeaux back then. Um, I even still have a lot of it. Um, uh, I, st- I still have a decent amount of Chateau Gazin from the '60s and mm. '70s that I collected way back then. And you know what? A lot of people don't realize is Gazan is the vineyard next to Petrus. Mm. <coughs> there's Petrus, Kazan, there's a strip of land down the middle that they've been in lawsuits over for 200 yep. years. <laughs> As the French do. <laughs> um, and, um, but I was always more attracted to the Burgundy. It just, it seems like it tells a deeper, more interesting story. Mm. Mm. And that's what I was always interested in. So when when he cracked, sorry, Bordeaux people. No, listen. I mean, that's the. I mean, you know, it's when we talk about like, like I mean, literally, Burgundy is so small, and 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 the the plots of land are so small. Yeah. But like I said, until the mid two thousands, they were still like affordable. Like, yeah. like Borgonias are now fifty sixty bucks. Yeah. Yeah, not anymore. I mean, think about it. It's crazy. I mean, I pulled that night, that 2000 Echazo. I think that wine retails for four grand right now. Yeah. And we had it for Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. And the other wine I pulled for that dinner um, was a Bordeaux. It was a 1998 Chateau Palmer, Margot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of my daughter's wines. My daughter was born in 98. Gotcha. So. I have to ask her permission. <laughs> she was there at the table. It was fine. <laughs> uh, but that was absolutely lovely. It really was. Do you find in your in your experience, um, what do you think ages better, Bordeaux or Burgundy? Oh, Bordeaux. <laughs> yeah, you think it's just because the nature of the grapes are they're more tannic and yeah. It, it ages longer. Burgundy ages more interestingly. Got it. So say more about that. Um, I can open some of these wines I have, like the Lafitte's from the 70s. I have the Gazan from 66. 
I have some Tanel from Sarah. But you can open those wines, and they're still drinking really, really well. <laughs> really well. Um, the Burgundies tend to get a lot more variation yeah. as they get older. Yeah. Maybe that's the best way to say it. <laughs> so, I know, so I, I know. So I wonder why people are so enamored with. It. I mean, I get it, but like, like why? Like, like I think there's every every wine. There's 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 just there is a sweet spot. Like there was like there was an age where like where like and and it depends on the wine. But like it could be like from like you know like a Rhone shit for me. It's like seven to ten years. Like there's a pocket where it's still got the fruit, but it's got the, you know the secondary stuff's coming through. Blah, blah, blah. And I've and the same with Burgundy's, you know, it's so delicate. And and but you can do. There's obviously bigger styles of Burgundy, uh, Burgundy, not just California Pinot Noir. Burgundy is actually bigger, richer Burgundy's people. Yeah. Um, but I mean, but yeah, like, do you find do you ever go to these wine wine events and like everybody's searching for a good tasting note and you're like, ah, oh, this shit is kicked. We should have drank this like X number of years ago. Yeah, but you can learn so much from wine that is past its day. You know, as long as it's not sherry. <laughs> but you know, if you're a, if you're a, a young person learning about wine, you, they need to drink that wine. No, they, they drink do. That sherry no, wine. they do. They need to know what oxidation tastes like. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. Then you just stop getting off your fucking natural wine kick you're on, man. All this reductive shit. Um, no, some someone else said that too. Like, like I think that that's also a, a, um, what's I wouldn't say sad, but uh, it's just timing in life. So you have a lot of people. Even a lot of psalms, certified psalms, who haven't had the wines that like guys you and I have had just because access and cost now. Like it's just like Oh yeah, especially now. I mean forget it. Yeah, you're not I, I mean, haven't bought wine in ages, can't yeah, afford it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but like literally like, you know, when when I hear I see people on social media like poo poo and certain stuff, I'm like, You've never even had it. Like I know you haven't had it. You haven't had it. Don't don't talk about this that wine is it and 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 one of the interesting things I had an opportunity to have lunch with Robert Haas, uh, Vineyard Brands, legendary importer of Burgundy, also from Spillman. <laughs> um, and I remember this was at his property when he was doing the Rhone thing with the parents at uh, Talbot's Creek in California. But uh, someone asked him what was like the best wine he had. And it was like a pre-war, pre-pre-war, World War II Burgundy. And this was going to be like, Shit was fifteen percent alcohol out of France, <laughs> like so. So I know, I know. So a lot of people. I uh, have some, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got thirty-seven. Yeah. Um, I have, uh, I have some Romy Conti from the forties, late forties. Yeah. I've never opened it. Yeah. I got it in some exchange I did, and it's more a display bottle. <laughs> yeah. What's the fill on it? Is it, is it? Does it look like it might yeah, be a little uh, large? A little, yeah, but it's okay. I mean, where am I going to find something to top it off with? No, I, no. I mean, you know. <laughs> Rudy. Call him Rudy, right? Um, he's like, you just need a little bit of a uh, coat to roan. <laughs> um, speaking of. Uh, I even have bottles from the 70s from some of the, the um, not lesser, but, you know. Lesser known. Lesser known producer. Yeah. And back then, when they had a bad vintage. And they needed to fortify it. They just snap off a piece of the vine, stuff it in bottles. Yeah. And I've opened bottles that have vine branches in them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so yeah. So like that's there's nothing new with uh, 
full cluster, whole cluster guys. You need some structure in wine, you throw the sticks and stems in there. That's yeah. what you do. Yeah. <laughs> but I never heard of I've never heard of you still if you could see it in the bottle. That's oh, all. <laughs> That's like why from the seventies. He did that a little bit. <laughs> um have you ever had liquid gold, the Montrachet, DRC Montrachet? I have. <laughs> I don't have any more. Oh, you had I, some. You oh, actually yeah. have. Oh, shit. Oh, we drank all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wouldn't hold on to that too long. It, it's very hard. It's very hard to get hold of. I, I mean, I can't even imagine what they sell for now. Oh, it's, I, I could look, it's ludicrous. Um, <laughs> why, why, like, for people, so, you know, Domain, Roti, Domain Romani Conti is arguably the most well known and prestigious estate in all of wine. You can make an argument for that. I think it's a truth. <laughs> yeah. And and amongst and you you you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who really knows wine who would disagree with that. You you would like you just be hard pressed. <laughs> I you know, it they could it'd be someone who just is grandstanding and you know. <laughs> Let me show you a picture. Um but uh they they are they're known for their reds, but they make a they make they make a Chardonnay, and uh, it's 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 like one of, it's an ultimate unicorn wine. He's gonna show me. He's probably at some crazy vertical. No, no, this is Thanksgiving. This oh. was last week. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> oh damn, Chateau Certain de May. That's O three. Pomerol. And you have an Essigeau from who is that? That's uh, uh, Robert Arnault. Yep, Arnault, that's and then obviously we know the DOC, and then that's the Palmer. That's the Palmer. That was dinner last night. Yeah, you were balling, man. Let <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me come to your house for things going. <laughs> uh, that's sweet. Um, no, no whites. Not nah, not for dinner. No, did you do any <laughs> bubbles before anything? Yeah, we did. At my, we shared dinner with. Uh, Another family, a friend, good friend, mm. and we did. He's a crazy grower, champagne guy. He's okay, got a crazy cellar, and so we go to his house to do the grower champagne. Gotcha. <laughs> and so, like you, you said, you don't really buy any wine anymore. But um, has anything come on your radar, like out of Burgundy, like a, you know, mm. like like uh, PYCM or anything new or someone new? Uh, like the second generation, somebody or third generation is a new young winemaker. You're like, you know what? I I need to. Need to mess around, get some of this stuff. I get sent a lot of stuff, like you know, you should get this. You know, right. this is great. I had this the other night. Um, the last one I found, who now is mainstream guy, was I used to have a lot of Griveaux. Yeah, you know, that I bought 15, 20 years ago. Um, and back then he was he was you know the new kid on the black mm -hmm. bop block, and people would just you know dismiss him. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I drank most of that one. I still have a little bit left. <laughs> um, I don't buy library wine anymore. Okay. It's just too expensive. I, I have some. I thought I had enough to last me the rest of my life. And I, <laughs> I look around, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm running out of wine. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, I buy house wine. I mean, we entertain a lot. Yeah. My wife and I. And uh, I buy a lot of wine to drink. Okay. Um, and I, Adrian helps me with a lot. Yeah. Of it. <laughs> it's a good friend to have. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, if you gotta have, uh, you know, if you want to have a wine guy as a buddy, Adrian Chalk is like your your friend to have as your wine guy. I can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Don't let him come to your house because he'll drink all your wine. 
Um, that's a he's a big boy. I could see him putting down a lot of wine. Oh, I love him. He's yeah, a great guy. Yeah, he's a super nice. Yeah, he and I met him through Ben Ben NF, Ben NF, Tribeca Wine Company. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, was like, oh, you need you have Adrian Chalk on, and I was like, who's Adrian Chalk? I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then as soon as Adrian was there, he's like, you gotta have Benjamin on. You got you gotta have this person on. You gotta have that person. On. And uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, and and you're the second person that he recommended uh, that has come on, <laughs> so I'm I'm very psyched. Um, love to entertain. That's awesome. So, what are you doing now with your time? Like, uh, I read Grind. Are you still working on Grind? No, no, I left uh, okay. left the company about got five years ago. Oh, okay, damn. Okay. Um, you know, I I do a lot of consulting in the shared workspace okay. arena. I've also been working on my not for profit stuff. You know, I. I Stepped down from the board presidency of Sylvester Manor. Um, a good friend of mine is running it now, and he's doing a better job than I did. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, I'm still on the board. I, you know, I help them any way I can. Um, I'm also on the board of Hudson River Community Sailing here mm-hmm. in New York City. Mm-hmm. It's an inner city STEM program uh, after school for uh, charter school kids, and okay. we take them after school we do science technology engineering math and we teach them how to sail we teach them things through sailing and geometry you to teach geometry in the sailboat um you know shapes angles <laughs> um we teach them boat building boat maintenance um we send them to college we have a middle school program based in a marina above the gw bridge and we have a high school program next to chelsea pierce Pier 66, there's a, a dot, there's a marina there that is HRCS. And uh, we have 180 kids in the program, and, you know, I'm helping them deal with these kids, and it's my way of giving back. I know something about sailing. I know something about running not-for-profits. <laughs> so um, I love it, and I've been on the board for a long time, and I will be on it, hopefully, if they'll have me for a long time. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, no, we we've started a partnership with Shelter Island Yacht Club, and we bring we now are bringing a few kids every summer from the city out to Shelter Island to sail in the junior sailing program at the club, and we house them with um, members, family members, and um, COVID put a little bit of a kibosh on things, <laughs> but uh, we had a great summer this year. We're just going to build the program over the next few years. I'm doing stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, which feeds my soul, and it's all good. I love it. I love it. All right, man. So, um, you know, we just a couple more questions, and I'll let you go. Thank you so much yeah. for coming in today. Um, this, is, this is this is a little uh, fun thing I do. It's called Fuck, Marry, Kill. So <laughs> I, give, I give you three grapes. You, you get to fuck one, you get to marry one, and you have to kill one off. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> They're going to say, like, Angelina Jolie. No, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble. Um, although I have had some great answers. Like, like people are like, oh, yeah, I just got to fuck the shit out of some shard. <laughs> um, all right. So um, oh, that that's actually too easy. So I, I wrote down what I thought I was going to ask you. Um, but now I'm going to throw a little curveball. Ash, that's that. Actually, yeah, I'm going to totally curb you on this one. All right. Um, I'm gonna give you um, an easy one. Um, so, Pinot, 
Noir. Riesling. And uh, Chardonnay. For each of those. Uh, those are your three grapes. Okay. Which one are you fucking, which one are you marrying, which one are you killing? Pinot? Marrying Chard- Pinot. Okay. See, I got, I got, I said Riesling or Chardonnay. See, he's oh. in, he's in a pickle because he was talking about how yeah. Riesling runs the whole range. Yeah. Riesling, <laughs> fuck Riesling, yeah. and kill Chardonnay. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a tough. That's yeah. fair and tough. I just yeah. think, I mean, I've had late harvest Chardonnay from like California, mm-hmm. but like it doesn't. And I love white burgundy, love it. Yeah. But if you got to get rid of, if, if if you're there and you got to have a white grape, Riesling just has the range where you can pair it with so many things. So I I would yeah. have to. And the other side of it is. So many horrible things have been done to Chardonnay. Yeah. That uh, the good Chardonnay is few and far between. It's true. It's true. Um, that's why I like when, like, I love finding, because I, you know, listen, there's no money in, uh, well, let's put it this way. I didn't, I, I didn't even pass the bar. So I didn't even do what you did and at least go out and make some money. So when, when every time I have a really good white brand, I'm like, ah, oh, that's what the big deal about Chardonnay is. When you have, like a good white berg or like a three hundred dollar mm. California Chardonnay made by Helen Turley or something, but yeah. that's Burgundy, and you're like, oh, oh fuck, wow, yeah. But you know, hard to find that stuff. I yeah. mean, they've done horrible things with Chardonnay. They throw oak chips, oak chips, chips, <laughs> oak flavored, and I mean, like, oh wait, it's even worse. It's, I'm sure there's actual oak chips, but there's oak flavored chips. chips. I'm sure that. It's even worse. I'm sure because you know I'm from Jersey. IFF is right down internationally. I'm sure someone like this is oak flavor. We could we could put it on any wood and throw it in wine. And that's why I would kill it. Yeah. No, I get it. I got makes sense. Um, and what would you say uh, most memorable bottle you've had to date? Like just a bottle. Like you've actually you've obviously had some amazing wines, but. I think that every real wine for there's, they go back. Oh my God! There's one time we had this ball, and, it, and a lot has to do with who you're drinking with it. But like, like what was like your knock your socks off? Well, I, I think you hit it. I think the real key to that question is who you're drinking it with. But put that aside. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, uh, I don't know. There, <laughs> there's so many. Um, DRC Richbord's ninety. 90, even 90 Echazo. I think that might have even been a better bottle for me. 90 Echazo. So, yeah, no, so actually I was going to let you go, but now, like, so, like, <laughs> this should be easy for a guy like you. What are the, the wines that DRC makes, right? <laughs> and then what do you see as the style like, the difference between Echazo, Grand Echazo, um, oh boy! You know, um, <laughs> that's a really hard question. <laughs> I'm not even sure I can answer that one. Well, uh, there's a Latash Riesborg. Latash Riesborg. Uh, yeah. yep. um, oh, there's another one. <laughs> I know. I don't know. Them all. <laughs> I'm blanking on that one. Hold on. Okay. I'm 61. I don't remember. That's okay. Yeah, okay. Um, it'll come up in about five minutes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Still haven't thought of that brother's name from Treme yet. <laughs> <laughs> so you're worse than me. I am, man. Um, um, oh, the stylistic difference. Or, okay, I mean, I'll take that back. Because okay, yeah. so what, like, like, what is your favorite of 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 all those wines? What's your favorite? Like, why is Latash so like the Latash just sounds sexy, and then Richbourg? I don't know. 
like I said, one of my favorite bottles ever was 90 issues out. It was just so rich. Got it. And it, it was a great summer. Yep. And it's a legendary year. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time, it was the best year in the history of Burgundy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it came through the best in Neshaza. Not even Grand Neshaza. Mm-hmm. Not Riesburger Latash. Came through best in Neshaza, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Benjamin, thank you so much for... Uh, coming here um tell people where they can um be a part of what you're doing like uh, uh, for like the uh associations you work with i mean the uh, oh, non yeah. yeah where can you find out and be a part of what you're doing well for hudson river community sailing uh their website is hudsonsailing.org uh, amazing they do work with vets and um with uh all sorts of selling for People from all walks of life. It's a community selling program. You mm-hmm. walk in and do it. Uh, they do adaptive selling. Um, uh, it's an amazing organization. They need all the help they can get. <laughs> um, and for Sylvester Manor, it's sylvestermanor.org. Um, and the History and Heritage Program is just remarkable. I mean, it's, it's just one of the ma- most amazing things I've ever been involved in, what's going on there. And you know we're really working on reclaiming the graveyards right now, and uh, we're working on rebuilding the house. And it's going to be awesome. And th- the thing I love about it is, you know, it's an it's an old slave plantation. Okay, <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> and you know, you go down south, and they they become wedding venues. Mm-hmm. And they don't mention it's like I know a slave never worked there. I know. <laughs> right. What a beautiful house this is. Uh, at Sylvester Manor, we are taking on that history. We're hitting it. We're taking it right in the face, and we're facing it. Yeah. And it's like this is part of the history of this piece of land, and it, good and the bad, is everything that we're trying to deal with. Um, I love that. I love that. Um, I I love that. Um, thanks again for all the listeners out there. Don't forget to check out the show notes for each episode. That's where you'll find info. On uh, you know, uh, uh, on the the websites, I'll put the links to uh, the organizations that Benjamin is uh, affiliated with, and he's doing great work with. And um, you know, until the next time, everybody, cheers to the Mavericks, the philosophers, deep thinkers, and all you wine drinkers out there. It's your boy MJ. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list.